So uh, Thanksgiving's coming up. I'm excited about that. I'm excited to eat. Um, yes, food. In fact, eating. I think eating is mostly what I've done, pretty much since I saw you guys last. Uh, eating. I did a lot of eating. I ate this past week to celebrate other people's birthdays. The week before that, I was in San Francisco, and John, Nancy, and I took a road trip up there. I got to speak up there, but. Our trail around the city, I think, the whole time you could mark just by the restaurants we ate at, all day. That's all we did. I gained a thousand pounds in San Francisco. That was awesome. And the week before, I got to eat as well. Um, I'm so used to walking around. I got to stay here with this mic. We can't. We can't find our cordless today, so I'm kind of stationary. So forgive me. I'm not hiding behind this. I just. We want the recording to work, so I've got to kind of stay here. Anyway, so um, I, I guess, I, yeah, I could pull it off and unwrap it. Yeah, we're going to do this. We're going get it, to get it done. So, yeah, so before I left, uh, I got this call from my dad. He said, uh, Vince, meet me 20 minutes at Lou and Mickey's. Now, anybody ever eat at Lou and Mickey's? You know? Yes, so you know cowboy-style, bone-in, ribeye, medium-rare with the, like, duck fat, and, you know, you shave the white truffles. It's just, it's one of those places that's amazing. And here's the deal. If my dad ever calls you to eat, you definitely need to go if he ever calls you because when my dad goes, he only goes to the best places. He orders the entire restaurant. You've just got food for days. And then, of course, he always picks up the bill, which I love personally, one of my favorite parts. And so I was stoked when my dad, well, I'm normally stoked, I guess, when my dad calls, but this time I wasn't as excited because um, he gave me a call and I was sitting at a happy hour with free food. And I had already been shoveling in, like this fried fatty food from the plate just into my face, you know, just gluttonously. It's free and I'm just like, oh. I got to have more, just feeling horrible. I'm so full. And my dad calls and says, hey, Vince, you want to go out for an amazing steak? And I'm like, yeah, I do. And I, I can't. Have you ever experienced something like that? It's just you have these, like, potential opportunities, and they just get shut down. I'm convinced, though, that that is one of the greatest struggles we have in our spirituality, that our Father has invited us to a feast, and it's limitless, it's endless, it's paid for, it's amazing, but we're over at another table somewhere just guilty, like full of guilt, just shoveling food into our face. And today, what I want to talk about is, is that I want you to assess, I'm hoping that you'll assess what other tables are in your life that you're stuffing your face at and find the benefit of finding the life you seek around dad's table. Like, look at where are the places you're finding life, you're trying, you're searching, you're starving for life. And say, man, how can I get back to dad's table? So I'm going to read some scriptures, and we're going to dive in to this, this sermon um, on the Ten Commandments, Do Not Kill. Matthew chapter 5, verses 22, or 21 and 22, excuse me. Jesus is talking, and uh, we're also going to go to 1 Corinthians 11. Matthew chapter 5, 21 and 22. Jesus is talking, and he says this. 
You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. And on over to 1 Corinthians 11, 23 through 26, a classic text on communion. And Paul is talking about the gospel here. And he says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's pray. Dad, um, I pray that you would remind us of the life that we have in you today. That you would draw our eyes away from the, the places we've been looking for life outside of you, and that we would see you high and lifted up, that our hearts would long for you, for the table, for the feast of our dad, that as we leave this place, we would leave here renewed in our soul, full of hope and joy and excitement for the life that you've called us to. Help us to be honest with ourselves today, Lord. Holy Spirit, move in our hearts, because unless you move, this sermon is just, you know, a 20-minute long TED Talk, which I love TED Talks, but Lord, we need a little more than that today. We need you. We want an experience with God. So have your way. Do your will in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So Augustine, the, the church father, said this. He said, our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. Our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. And a couple weeks ago, I, I brought this up, and I just want to start here and remind us about the creation story. That in the beginning, God, according to the poet, spoke the world into existence. Like, he used his word and spoke, and everything that is now in place and in existence came into being from the word of God. And you know, we, we know the text, you know, the Bible says that the, the earth brought forth trees and the sea brought forth fish. And then God stoops down into the dust that he had spoken into existence and he shapes a man and he breathes into him the breath of life, that, that pneuma, the, the very spirit of God as it were. And man became a living soul. Like very literally the product of the Word of God and the Spirit of God. And we, we talked about this, but I'll just remind you of it. What happens when you take a tree out of the soil, when, from its source, from its environment? What happens when you take that out? It withers and dies. What about a fish? You take a fish out of water, what happens? 
Yeah. What happens when you take us away from our source? The source of life. And, and, and man opens his eyes, and the first thing he sees is his creator God. And the first thing he experiences is rest and life in God. That is what we are created for. And as a living metaphor, almost, God provides a meal. He sets a table. He says, three square times a day, you're going to be reminded that your life comes from me. And God says, here's a tree. You guys remember the name of the tree? The tree of life. Yeah. Tree of life. Sit in the shade. Eat the fruit. Eat as much as you want. This is your tree. Limitlessly, you can partake of the life that I give. Enjoy it. But, is that what they do? No, we go over to this other table, this other tree. I want to be as a God. I want to find my own security. I want to find my own sense of significance. I want to find my own satisfaction over here, somewhere apart from you, Dad, apart from the table that you set for me. And that is the name, that's us, right? The Lou and Mickey steak is waiting for us, and here I sit, shoveling the free fatty fried food. That Does that stuff give you life? No. I mean, it gives you this. That's what it gives you. It gives you, like, guilt and shame, and just you just want to hide. It's no wonder when they ate it, they were like, oh, man, what happened? And what did they do immediately? They ate, and then they... They hid, yeah, guilt and shame. Guilt and shame. Craving life, searching for significant security, satisfaction, my way. And there's nothing wrong with those things, right? There's nothing wrong with security. We are created to enjoy that. There's nothing wrong with satisfaction or significance. The, the issue isn't those things. The issue is where we're finding where we're searching for life, what table we're eating at. And we know it's bad because if we, if we look at the story, they ate, they believed the lies, they hid in shame and guilt, they leave the garden, and within one generation, what happens? They go from believing a lie to Cain murdering his brother, literally searching for life in the death of another. I can find the significance, the value, the security, the things that I'm craving by killing someone else. And, you know, we're not too far off from that today. You look around, I mean, you guys watch the news. We all have the internet on our phones, probably. I mean, whether you want to talk about, you know, ISIS bombings and, and beheadings or police brutality or mob mentality Whatever you want to talk about here today, school shootings, there's a, there's a culture of death that exists in our world today. And it's almost like we're numb to it. You hear about another shooting. I remember Columbine. I remember how shocked I was the first time we heard about Columbine. I feel like I hear about a school shooting every other day, and it's just kind of like, oh, that's too bad. It's almost, we, just, we almost expect this culture of brokenness and death around us. We've gotten used to death. And it's, it's not just there 
in the overwhelming, broken, murderous rampages and, and the stuff we see in the headlines, but it's there in the settler forms too. This looking for life in the death of another. You know, you walk around the streets of downtown, you see the blue light flickering in the window, the computer screen, as a guy sits alone in his apartment, he's watching shapes move on his computer screen, and he pulls out the credit card because he wants to purchase a little bit of satisfaction. And on the other side of that computer screen, there she sits, performing for pennies, doing anything to try to get a little bit of security that she's craving for. Fair trade. Organic flesh. This is the table they've chosen. Looking for life in the death of another. And later on that night, maybe she sleeps, swings out to the uh, alleyway in East Village, right over there in the bottoms by the A1 storage, and she sits down because that's one of the places she can get what she's looking for. And as the memory kind of flashes into her mind that she's been running from, she, she grabs the needle from the person occupying space next to her and shoves it into her vein to try to run away from the thing that's haunting her. And she gets a moment of reprieve. But w- what did the heroin really cost? I mean, it wasn't just money. How, what bullets, what blood, what trafficking happened in order for her to experience this type of escape? This is the table she's chosen. She's looking for life, and she's finding death. She's actually looking for it in the, in the death of another. And some coins maybe fall there on the pavement in front of her, and the steps kind of walk away. And later on that night, I get home, and my steps are not as loud as they were earlier because I don't have any more change in my pocket, because I did my religious act to make myself feel better about me looking for life at that table, and, and I go upstairs and pull up in my computer to prepare a sermon because I got to find those pats on the back and those attaboys. I'm looking for life at another table. It looks like Dad's table, but maybe it's not. See, every sin takes advantage of someone. There's, you know, they say there's no victimless crime. There's no victimless sin. Every sin is us looking for life in the death of another, but let me ask you something. Who is it costing? Who's picking up the tab at the end of the meal? I remember I was 12, and I met Jordan. Jordan, Jordan was actually one of those guys who wanted to fit in more than I did. You sense these weaknesses when you're kids, you know? It's just weird how you can pick them out. And um, he, he was a nice kid, good-looking, charming, sweet, just desperate to fit in. And I remember the first day we all hung out. I don't know how this happens, but out in the church parking lot, we got so many rubber bands. It was like an epic world war of rubber band fighting. Me and the kids, we're all chasing each other around. But somewhere in the end of all that fun, I remember all of us ganging up on Jordan, the new kid, and just pummeting him with rubber bands. And the rubber bands, you know, gave way to crueler devices, if I can just be honest with you guys here. I'm sorry if it's heavy, but it's, it's real, and I think we need to go there today. I remember, um, <laughs> I remember that summer, later on, all the staff kids were hanging up at the church, hanging out up at the church, and um, I remember us saying stuff like, hey, man, there's Jordan. He's kind of alone. Yeah, dude, let's do this. When I say elephant, 
we will all run different directions and we'll rendezvous by the big tree up on the hill, right? And so we all pull Jordan over. Hey, Jordan, come here, man. Come hang out with the cool kids. Hey, buddy. How you doing? What are you doing this summer? Are you, uh, you going to go to the zoo? Yeah? What are you going to see? Maybe you're going to see some tigers? Maybe you're going to see some bears? How about an elephant? Ah! And we all run everywhere, and there's Jordan like, I'll never forget. I ran around the corner, and then I turned back around just to look and see what had happened. And he had just kind of plopped down in the middle of the parking lot there and hung his head. Kids can be so cruel. What? What were we thinking? And then the name-calling started and the belittling and the embarrassing moments. And I'm 16 years old, and I wander into the music room, and I hear some chanting going on. And there's a circle of boys around Jordan. And Jordan's in the middle, and his face is bright red and stained with tears as he smacks himself repeatedly in the face for their entertainment. And they're egging him on and jeering and cheering him on. And something in me broke. I'm like, what are you guys doing? Stop. Come on. Get out of here. And I grabbed Jordan and put my arm around him and go and sit down on the pew. I said, as he's like heaving and sobbing. And I said, Jordan, why are you doing this to yourself, man? I'll never forget him looking at me in the eye and saying, you started this. You never know the kind of guilt and shame people carry around with them in their life. And just like Jordan, the children of Israel had been bullied, beaten, robbed of their identity, 400 years slavery in this cruel empire. I mean, this was their table, and they weren't necessarily choosing to eat there. They were the victims. They'd been placed there because sometimes we get stuck at a table because we choose it, and other times it's chosen for us by other people. And there's Israel. Egypt's oppressive system has brutalized their captives, and Egypt is searching for life in this slavery and subjugation, and there's this moment where God has had enough. And he sends Moses, and Moses goes in first with warnings for Pharaoh, And then after the warnings come the plagues. And you guys remember the last plague? The Passover? Yeah. God says, take a lamb. Take a spotless lamb. And what I want you to do with that spotless lamb is I want you to kill it. And I want you to take the blood and spread it on your doorpost. And I want you to eat it. And I want you to eat all of it. And that night, the angel of death is going to pass over every home that's covered with the blood of the lamb. And here's the deal. I'm inviting you guys back to my table. You don't have to eat at that table you've been at any longer. You can come back to my table. And anybody who refuses this invitation, they're going to get the recompense of what they've been eating. They've been dining on death. And that's what they're going to get. But you can come back. You can come back to life. Come back to the source of life. And we all know the story. Israel's set free. They gather around a mountain, and dad sits down with his kids and says, I'm going to show you my way. I'm a good father. That's who I am, and you're loved by me. That's who you are. Look, you don't have to kill. You don't have to look for life in someone else's death. 
You don't have to feast on their flesh. Guys, you're not zombies. This isn't the walking dead. Don't go feasting on somebody's flesh or, or soul. If you're, if you're looking for some of this stuff, I've got all you need. You're looking for satisfaction? I've got that. I'm going to bring manna down from the sky and water from a rock. How's that for satisfaction? Your needs are going to be met. You looking for significance? Well, check this out. I'm choosing you out of all the nations of the earth. You're my people. You're chosen. You're adopted. You're looking for security? How about a pillar of fire that goes with you everywhere you go that reminds you, I'm right there with you. I'm leading the way. I'm keeping you warm. I'm keeping you safe. You're my people. Everything you're looking for. But let me ask you a question. Did they believe it? Did they obey? No. No, we know from history. You've got everything you're longing for right there at dad's table. But, man, that other other table looks so enticing, so alluring. Fast forward through the priests and the kings and the prophets, and here stands a prophet in the middle of the Jordan River, and he's baptizing, and he sees somebody walking up on the shore. And what's he say? Behold the what? The Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. The things you've been looking for, the significance you've been looking for, the satisfaction, everything your heart's been driving toward when it chases these other tables, you've got right here in him. This is the Lamb of God. Here's what you've been craving. And Jesus comes along, and in this passage in Matthew 5, he explains the law, and he says, guys, here's the deal. It's not just about don't kill. There's reasons why we kill. There's reasons why we're looking for life in someone else's death. Don't even be the type of people who hate someone in your heart. Let's, let's take this back from your actions to your attitudes. Let's take this back from what you do to what you actually feel and believe in your heart. Don't be the type of person that, that feels the need to belittle somebody else, to call them a fool. You don't need to do that. And Jesus not only explains the law and puts it like in flesh, but he obeys the law perfectly. And we know the gospel. The gospel is is the best part of this whole story where Jesus, if you just fast forward to the end of his ministry, sits down at a Passover meal with his disciples. It's the Last Supper. And he says, look, the things you've been craving for Right here at dad's table, this is an open invitation. Eat my flesh. Drink my blood. The perfect life I've lived every day. I, I could have gone out there and sought for security, satisfaction. The devil tempted me in the wilderness. There was plenty of opportunity, believe me. But right now in this moment, you can take hold of life. By partaking in the life of Christ, you get to feast on the life of Christ. You don't have to look for life elsewhere. So Jesus says that, and he says, my blood has been poured out to forgive you for every time you have. Every time you've gone over to that other table looking for life, you're pardoned, you're forgiven, it's washed away. I am the Passover lamb. The life you're looking for is right here. Jesus did what we cannot, and he did it for us because he loves us. And here's the deal. That's what we have to hear today because otherwise what we end up trying to do is fix ourselves or fix our situations or fix our past. I remember I was 21 when I ran into Jordan again. 
after college. And Nancy and I had started a wireless store. And when I bumped into him, Jordan was at this place in his life where he couldn't hold the job down, couldn't upkeep, maintain a relationship. He was just kind of a shell of a person, didn't really have any friends. It was almost like we, like a ravenous pack of zombies had just devoured whatever humanity he had, and there was very little left. And I felt horrible. I didn't know what to do. So I hired him at my wireless store trying to fix what I'd broken. I, I didn't know what to do. It's kind of like if I, if I had the courage and the time to clean this mess up today, I would have done this. But if you take a plate, right, you grab a plate and you throw it down, and it shatters, Maybe you've heard this illustration. That plate, you can say, hey, I'm so sorry for what I did. But it doesn't fix the plate, does it? The plate's just shattered and broken. Fixing it, redeeming that situation looks like picking up those broken shards and gluing them back together. And I was trying. I was sitting there in the corner with Jordan, the plate of his life, trying to glue it back together, and it was impossible. I couldn't figure it out. I didn't know what to do. And I remember... Um, one day we were driving to go to the warehouse to go get phones uh, to restock the store. And I just had this moment where we hadn't really talked about the elephant in the room, so to speak, or the elephant in my Ford pickup, rather. Um, and I said, uh, dude, I, I just want you to know I'm, I'm really sorry for the stuff we did as kids. And he's, you know, he did the noble thing. He's like, oh, man. That was a long time ago, bro. Like, we were kids. Don't, don't even worry about it. But I felt this nagging thing, you know, the Holy Spirit, I think it was, tugging at my heart. And I remember pulling the car over there on Midway Drive and, and just looking at him and saying, bro, no, I want you to know I'm so sorry. I don't know what to do to make it up to you, bro. I'm so sorry. And Jordan looked at me in the eyes, and he said, if Jesus forgives you, how could I not? And something in me broke. I just like, I started sobbing and I just like fell on his neck and hugged him and then he started sobbing and we're just sitting there crying on the side of Midway Drive in my Ford pickup. It was one of those moments, it was one of those moments where what I couldn't do, the Holy Spirit moved in and just, it was like a communion moment where we came around Jesus Christ, the, the, the sacrificed lamb who's been resurrected and God did something in that moment we couldn't do. Here's the thing, it's how many years later? I'm 34 now. I'm pastoring a church. I got three kids. Jordan's a missionary in Thailand. Jordan's engaged to the girl of his dreams. I just had a birthday, and on my Facebook wall, here's Jordan. Love you, bro. Happy birthday. What's responsible for fixing that? That shouldn't have been fixed. There's no way he should have been fixed. There's no, we did so much damage. But it was a table moment of coming back to Dad's table and realizing that God can do what we can't. The Father's invited you to a feast at his table. You can find life in him. I don't know what table you've been searching for life at. I don't know whose death you've been looking for life in. 
but you can find life today. We're going to come down in a moment and take communion. I just want to remind you of a truth, though, that you are free from death, from the death that living for security and significance and all these other things, the satisfaction that we have, you're free from that by feasting on the life of Christ. It's a quote by Kathy Coffey I love. She says this, After 10,000 eatings, we begin to believe that we are what we eat, we are who we eat with, we are where we eat, and for believers, we are even who we eat. We have recognized the body. So today, I'm going to give us some questions to really, because the sermon's not over, we get an opportunity now to actually apply some of this to our life. I'm going to give you some questions to help you do that in groups of two or three, and then I'm going to pray over you. And I want to invite you to come down and find the life that you've been seeking right here to feast on the endless supply of the life of Christ. It's free. It's paid for. It's amazing. Tastier than anything else you'll find out there. Trust me. Here's some questions. What tables have you been eating at? Where are you looking for life? Where are you looking for your significance, your satisfaction, your security in the death of another? And what does the life of Christ, how does, how does Christ in the gospel give you what you've been craving in the gospel? So I'm going to pray over you. I hope this has been helpful, but I pray that um, the Holy Spirit will really do something over the next few minutes in your heart and life. Dad, thank you. Thank you that you're not content to let us wonder. As that song said that Tom was singing earlier, we're prone to wonder, but you're, you're not content to let us chase after death in the guise of life. But you've come inviting us to your table. You've spread out a feast. You sent your son with the ultimate invitation. The life we look for in the death of another, we've actually found in the death and the resurrection of the the spotless Passover lamb who's taken away our sins and given us his perfect record in righteousness. I pray that more than ever we would actually believe that today, that we would buy that truth and hold on to it like the precious jewel that it is. And I pray you would speak to us as we come around the table today and we feast on your life. I pray you'd do a work, Holy Spirit, that we can't do on our own. Have your way in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're new